0: From APM American Public Media, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. Howard University in Washington, D.C. recently announced it would be laying off about 200 employees. This comes at a time when many historically black colleges and universities, or HBCUs, are struggling. Howard was created at the end of the Civil War to educate newly freed slaves. Up through the Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s and the early 70s, Howard and other HBCUs were the only options for many African-Americans who wanted to go to college. But today, HBCUs are competing with all four-year institutions for African-American and minority students. And some of the smaller HBCUs might not survive much longer if they don't make some big changes. Here to talk about what those changes might be is Jarrett Carter Sr. He is the editor of HBCU Digest, and he joins us from Baltimore. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Steve, for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So in the past, HBCUs were really havens for many African-American students. But what has happened in the last 10 years that has caused this reduction in in students applying to HBCUs?
1: I think you're seeing a, a, a full thrust of what uh, desegregation, for better and for worse, was able to do um, in higher education. You see a lot more scholarship opportunities for minority students at predominantly white institutions. Um, you see the, the the growth of these institutions uh, really explode. You see athletics exploding into a major marketing machine that attracts all kinds of students from around the world. Um, and certainly African-American students are not independent of that attraction. And at the same time, particularly for public HBCUs, there's been dramatic cuts in state and federal appropriations to these schools. Uh, you've seen a lot of the private schools struggle with enrollment, uh, with building endowment. Uh, to really bolster scholarship opportunities for students of all races. And you see uh, a dramatic split in where students are electing to go. And as choices increase, a collection of institutions that were founded uh, in movements for separatism and segregation are now losing a foothold uh, with students and generations of students who typically uh, would have been culturally aligned with HBCUs, would have had legacy of families attending HBCUs, and opportunities at their highest at HBCUs now finding opportunities and, and acceptance in, in some cases, not many, but some cases at other kinds of institutions.
0: Well, HBCUs were created, if you will, for very good purposes, but in the face of a, a very bad thing, which was segregation. Have they outlived their purpose? No
1: as long as you have a disparity in economic uh, empowerment, and this is not just exclusive to African Americans, but because uh, historically uh, black folks have been at the center of that discussion of economic prosperity and and mobility, we're still here, rooted in that part of the conversation. But as long as there are disparities, uh, social, economic, political, you're going to need historically black colleges and universities, because it's those schools that today still provide a affordable education that can make you competitive and comparable with students from any kind of institution. They're still centered in research and development and strategic building in communities that need it greatly. So for as long as as America has an issue with poverty, for as as long as America has an issue uh, with race, race identity, and racism, you're going to need institutions that can counter those issues with not just a fact of, of, you know, kind of deconstructing myths, uh, but also bursting and busting stereotypes to say, you know, here's a segment of the population that, while it's historically been neglected, can still make really capable contributions to America and to the world in a vast variety of industries, um, in a vast variety of cultural contributions, and uh, in their work in building communities of all kinds.
0: Now, you have written that there are at least two tiers in the historically black colleges and universities, a few truly you know, uh, elite institutions that have a, a long history of being more selective than some of the other institutions than, and that they seem to be in a, a reasonably good place. Um, and then you have a lot of other institutions that vary, um, some that are much less selective and becoming less selective over time. How are the ones that are in that struggling category, what do they need to do to reframe their mission, to you know, create what one might call a new value proposition.
1: I kind of, I kind of have a disagreement with the, the term value proposition because all of them are valuable. Okay, and I think that as the country moves towards a place where we have to have more innovation and we have to have more uh, intellectual capital uh, to remain competitive with the rest of the world any any institution that is providing competitive higher education to any kind of person has its own value proposition that we don't need to delve deeply into. So Fort Valley State and, you know, Savannah State, you know, these are colleges in Georgia, they are just as valuable to the, the progress of that state and the communities that will surround those institutions as as Georgia Tech would be or the University of Georgia. Uh, They're vastly different missions, obviously. Uh, Some of them are agricultural. Uh, Some of them are STEM-related. Some of them are in the arts, and some are in the liberal arts. But they're valuable because they're there, uh, just like the people they serve. Um, So I don't think that we have to reframe the mission of what they do. I think we have to have a closer alignment with what industries are we serving and how are we taking the students whom we admit – And making them as quickly as we can and as comprehensively as we can, as prepared as they can possibly be to do a job or create a job in the United States in 2014 and beyond. So it's and that's not just a challenge for HBCUs. It's a challenge for all kinds of colleges.
0: Which HBCUs over the past two decades have either totally gone out of business or have become simply different institutions? Can you name a few?
1: Well, you know, the most recent one is St. Paul's College in Virginia, and it was a really big hit for that region uh, because it provided so many jobs for that southeastern section of Virginia, uh, but it also had a variety of of programs in business. It was one of the few institutions in the country where you could be a single parent um, and have the living space for your children or child to be taken care of while you attended classes full-time. Um, And this is a unique program that, you know, really served that region and that state very well. And because of a lack of the ability to align what your college does well with industrial partners or industrial needs, it unfortunately went out of business despite the best efforts of other colleges and other stakeholders trying to raise money or trying to buy buy it out so it could survive. Um, But you look at when you ask the question about institutions that are totally different, and I'm going to take this from a, a more positive perspective. You look at a school like Hampton University, uh, which just in, a, in, in the last five years opened up a cancer uh, research center and treatment center, proton therapy center, uh, the largest of its kind in the world. It's on the Hampton University campus. So I think it's in excess of $220 million to get it done. That's something unheard of at an HBCU, to open a, a therapy center that specifically addresses cancer treatment to, to populations that otherwise may not be able to afford it. Uh, they're totally different from what they were, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, Howard University is the same way. You see all the struggles that they've had financially over the last year or two. You see an enrollment go down. You see the endowment go down. You see U.S. News and World Report rankings go down. But yet Howard is still the elite institution, when you want to choose what industry in which you will make an impact as an African-American, there's few places outside of how, where you can go and say, I have my pick of the litter, uh, because they, they're private, they're in the nation's capital, and they have a wide range of degree offerings at the baccalaureate, master's, and doctoral program. They're vastly different than they were um, several years ago, because they are doing things to keep stride with what industrial needs are. So you're seeing HBCUs really adapt to what the needs are of a 2014 higher education landscape. The problem is if you're asking these schools to scramble and scramble quickly when they don't have the resources to do so. You're asking them to adapt at a speed and a pace in which they've not had resources to make that changeover, to hire faculty, to hire administrators uh, that have worked in a a broad range of fields that can come in and say, okay, this is the direction in which we need to go, and we have 18 months to do it. Keep in mind that many of these institutions were not created to be uh, producers of great individual wealth. These schools were started to to create teachers, preachers, and farmers. And, you know, that's pretty much the gist of it, with the exception of like a Morehouse a Spelman and a Howard for the most part, HBCUs were crafted and, and created to create those jobs, and they, by a miracle, um, by the tenacity of the people they serve, by the tenacity of a lot of the supporters over generations, they've evolved into masters and doctoral granting institutions. So that wasn't supposed to happen; that wasn't part of the deal. But now that it has, the country and you know, and its leadership needs to recognize that these schools are are doing a wonderful thing, and they should be funded as such. Not because they're black, not because they're historically black, but because they're institutions that serve a population that most needs higher education, that most needs the industrial training.
0: Jared Carter Sr. is the founder and editor of HBCU Digest. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. We have a link to HBCU Digest on our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. While you're there, you can find more podcasts about changing demographics on campus and a range of issues in K-12 and higher education. You can also browse our archive of more than 100 documentary projects, and you can let us know what you think of our coverage, AmericanRadioWorks.org. We're on Facebook at American.RadioWorks and on Twitter at AMRadioWorks. Support for American RadioWorks comes from Lumina Foundation, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. American Public Media.